Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 28, Rebuking the Mighty Waters. And the following is a sermon that I preached on June 24th of this past summer while preaching through Mark chapter 4. And it is the story of Jesus calming the waters in the boat with his disciples. And I'm introducing it here for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first is that I don't know if you realize this, but even as a a pastor or someone whose one of his main jobs is to preach every single Sunday to a group of people that I, I actually personally have sermons that have had more of an impact on me than others. I know I, I'm the one who's preaching every one of them, but God is very faithful and oftentimes will teach me new things through sermons that I preach, and certain ones have gripped me more than others, and this is one of those sermons. It came through a passage that you'll hear referenced in the sermon. It's from Isaiah 17, one that really gripped me when I began to think about God's stance toward the nations and especially how we read his seemingly aggressive language toward them from the Old Testament and what might really be going on, particularly as Jesus helps clarify those things for us. And so I've decided to insert it here, not just because it was one that had a profound impact on me, but also because in recent episodes, we've been speaking a lot about representative heads of the people and how Moses stood in the place of representing God to the people and how Aaron did a pitiful job of representing the people back to the Lord and how all through the Old Testament, stories that we read are needing to be read at multiple levels, of course. We looked at as a human being, as a covenant people, and then ultimately as an individual who may or may not be faithfully representing the covenant people well in the way that they choose to place faith in God or relate to the nations. And so this sermon is one that kind of grabs a couple of those themes together to show us what Jesus is now introducing as the representative head of a new covenant people. And what his stance is toward the nations is meant to empower us to adopt the same stance. And we will have the chance to see what the disciples' stance originally is and then hopefully learn to follow Jesus in having that stance um, changed and redeemed for the better. So I am hopefully you will find this this sermon helpful. And I'd love to hear any feedback from you if in fact you do find it helpful. So here we go. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, give us grace to hear from your word this morning. 
We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've spent the past few weeks looking at the kingdom of God, um, God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And we've seen that with this coming kingdom, long held to expectations of values and beliefs about who God is, it actually messes with everyone's expectations. This includes the way God chooses to work in the world, the way he views those outside his established rule, even the very way he chooses to bring in his kingdom. Jesus seems, in a very real sense, to be quite unlike anything the people were expecting. And sadly, when Jesus comes proclaiming God's kingdom and setting captives free, forgiving people of their sins and fellowshipping with outsiders, he is accused of being in league with the devil. And last week we saw that to receive life in God's kingdom, one first has to embrace death. Everything with Jesus and his kingdom seems upside down, inside out, or totally reversed. And this morning, Jesus will apply that same kingdom reversal to the way his followers view those outside the kingdom. So if you have a Bible, and there are some at the end of your rows under your seats, to open it with me to Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking closely at the passage that I just read a few minutes ago. For the past chapter of Mark, all of chapter 4, Jesus has been speaking to the crowds, to his own people, about the kingdom of God. But the first words of our passage this morning shift the focus away from God's people. And here's what it says in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Go across to the other side of what? Well, if you're reading Mark 4 and starting in verse 1, you notice that it says Jesus had been speaking about the kingdom of God from inside a boat while the crowds gathered on the seashore. At the end of Jesus' teaching then, he sets his sight to the other side of the sea. Now, the other side of the Sea of Galilee was not Jewish land. And the people living there were not Jews. So Jesus is deliberately going to the nations, expanding the reach of his kingdom to those on the outside. Now, Mark does not tell us what the disciples think about this plan. We're not told anything, just that they get in the boat with Jesus and go. But it would help you to great, greatly to know as you read this narrative that throughout Scripture, the nations are often referred to as stormy or chaotic waters. Both the nations and the sea were viewed as unpredictable, unknown, scary, and dangerous. Let me give you just one example. Isaiah 17, 12 and 13 says this, Ah, the thunder of many peoples, they thunder like the thundering of the sea. Ah, the roar of nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away. 
chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind and whirling dust before the storm. Okay, that's simple enough. The nations roar like the roaring of mighty waters. They thunder like the thundering of the sea. Well, roaring and thundering seas are frightening places, to be sure. So, and and these nations, in their rebellion of the one true God, to the Jews at least, are also frightening. So what does Isaiah say God will do about it? He will rebuke them, and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind. Okay, so what does that mean? God will rebuke what? The nations or their roaring? Which one is going to be rebuked? You see, when you read Isaiah chapter 17, you really cannot tell. And that was part of the point. Israel certainly had their interpretation of what Isaiah 17 said and meant. They thought God was going to rebuke the nations themselves, destroy them, and cause them to flee far away. And they spent a fair amount of their time eagerly waiting for that day. Want to take a guess at which one Jesus thought God would rebuke? Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's just keep reading. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now it's quiz time. In your reading of the Bible, have you ever come across another story involving God's concern for the nations, a man called by God to reach those nations, a boat, a sea, a raging storm, the one called by God asleep in the boat during that storm, the remainder of the crew on board that ship fearing for their lives, and then a great calm coming over the waters following some type of action from the man upon being woken up. Anyone? Jonah. This is the story of Jonah all over again. And you remember what the sailors say to Jonah when the storm comes upon them. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And what did the disciples say to Jesus? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? But remember the tension in the book of Jonah too, right? God is concerned for the salvation of the nations while God's people long for their destruction God's mission has to trump their bias. It's the same thing here. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? To which Jesus could calmly reply, do you not care that those on the other side of this sea 
are perishing? We've got to bring the kingdom of God to them. I've got this. You're with me, remember? And we are on a mission. Right, and what is the mission? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Preventing lives from perishing is what God is all about. This is why Jesus and his disciples are going to the other side of the sea. But along the way, Jesus' disciples will continually be learning new things about the Jesus they've chosen to follow. Namely, that he is the Lord who rules the raging sea. Notice, though, that it is not until their mission is threatened in some way that the disciples learn this. And what this shows us is that there simply are certain lessons that cannot be learned in a classroom. They cannot be learned in a Bible study. They cannot even be learned in church. And all three of those are fantastic things to involve yourself in. But there are certain lessons that can only be learned when we follow Jesus into his mission. As I shared with you, we're getting ready to take a trip, 620 miles of driving through some mountains and some other places, and Gavin oftentimes gets motion sick. And so we found the perfect remedy, and we found the, the bonine that's sort of like a Dramamine, but it doesn't make him upset in his stomach, and our other kids partake, partake of it as well, because who likes to be motion sick when you're in the mountains? So Jessica and I are doing our checklist this morning before coming to church. Did everybody do this? Did you pack this? Did you take your motion sickness medicine? And Ethan said, yeah, I took mine, but it's not doing anything. And I said, well, buddy, it can't do anything because you're sitting still on the couch right now. You're not going anywhere. You can't have motion sickness if you're not moving. When we start to move, you'll feel the effects of the, sickness, of the, of the, of the medication. That's exactly what's happening here. You can't feel the effect of motion sickness medication when you're standing still, right? And you can't know what it's like for Jesus to calm a raging sea around you if you're not in the raging sea. It's nice to learn this about him, and we can tuck it away up here, which is very, very easy, but only when you are in a situation like the disciples, in a position where we actually feel threatened, that we will learn to really place our faith in him and to rest in his presence. And so he asks them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, Jesus' words are meant to be taken seriously, but we have to believe they have some faith at this point, right? Not that Jesus isn't telling the truth, but they have left everything to follow him. So they are with him. So then what might Jesus be referring to besides that? Well, I think he means their faith in him for their own protection, their own safety, and their own well-being. And trust me, Nothing will actually prepare you better to face whether or not you trust Jesus with your life than when that life is actually threatened, for real, in the real world. It is the very presence and power of Jesus with them and for them that the disciples do not yet grasp. Who is this, they ask themselves and one another. It's the central question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
Well, it's none other than the Lord himself with the disciples in the boat. And yet only when life's difficulties expose how frightened, vulnerable, weak, and doubtful we really are, will we ever be able to begin asking and then discovering who Jesus is. Until we find ourselves in those kind of places, places we've willingly entered because of our commitment to Jesus, we will never get to know him as he actually is. This is the life of discipleship. Following Jesus wherever he leads, learning about yourself and how much you need him along the way, him showing you something new about his presence and power in your life suited to your need at the moment, and then you willingly following him into more difficult places with your renewed and ever-growing faith where the process begins all over again. And the reason why this is so important is because the lives of those on the other side of the sea are actually quite stormy and chaotic themselves. We think we go through difficult circumstances. What about those on the other side of the sea? If you continue reading on into Mark chapter 5, you will see a demon-oppressed man meeting Jesus the instant he arrives on the shore. Exactly. This is why Jesus has gone to the other side in the first place. Because in the kingdom of God, one should consider the needs of the oppressed as being more important than his own. Kingdom citizens, Jesus tells us, should concern themselves first with others and learn to trust in the Lord to take care of them. This is Jesus' main point in Matthew chapter 6. We affectionately know it as the Sermon on the Mount when he tells his disciples, do not worry about your life but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Make the advancement of his kingdom your number one priority and trust the one who is resting calmly in the middle of the chaos to, in the words of Jude, keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And how does Jesus do that? How does Jesus keep you Well, he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still. The word rebuke simply means to express strong disapproval of someone or something to speak seriously to them or to warn them. Now think those concepts, strong disapproval, speak seriously or warn. So Jesus is often said to rebuke demons. He rebukes fevers. He occasionally has to rebuke his disciples. And then you may even remember that Peter once tried to rebuke Jesus. Jesus here voices his strong disapproval of the roaring waters and then invites them into his peace, his calm, his rest. And they obey instantly. Of course they do. Because he's the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Did you see what the psalmist did there? In one short verse, he connects for us the roaring of the sea with the tumult of the peoples, just like Isaiah. But remember, In Isaiah, the question was whether God would rebuke the nations 
or they're roaring. Right. And now we have our answer. What does Jesus rebuke? He rebukes the wind that's causing the sea to roar. He rebukes the roaring sea. He doesn't destroy it. It's still there after he rebukes it. And this is important to notice. Only now it is peaceful and calm in his presence. He rules the raging sea, according to Psalm 89. Yes, he most certainly does. And this is exactly what he wants to do with the nations. The Lord has no pleasure in the death of anyone. He tells us so himself in Ezekiel 18. And so Jesus, unlike Jonah, willingly puts himself in harm's way to ensure that all those on the outside are given every opportunity to be welcomed in. And this very thing is happening through the lives of faithful followers of Jesus all over the world today. Many of you are aware that GAFCON, the Global Anglican Future Conference, took place in Jerusalem this past week. Canon Phil Ashey gave this update to the Anglican world earlier in the week. These are his words. In our small group prayer time, we heard the testimony of a Nigerian bishop and his wife in the north where Christians are dying every day in the face of radical Islamic persecution. He told us how Christianity has grown from 40% to 50% of the population. They shared how the Christians are continuing to love the Muslims who are continuing to persecute them. In turn, the Muslims and other persecutors are beginning to turn to Christ because of the costly sacrificial love of the Christians who will not resort to violence. Is this the nature of the sacrifice we Christians in the West will need to offer to stand firm and overcome in Christ? This is our context. This is right now, today. Not Jonah's day, not Jesus' day, this day. A deep concern for those on the outside that is willing to forgo one's safety and security in order to go to the other side with Jesus. This is what it means to follow him. This is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news that the king himself defeats his enemies by dying for them, by taking into himself the evil, hatred, injustice, and cruelty that rule the kingdoms of this world and establishing for the world a new way of being. He washes clean those who desire to be part of this kingdom by forgiving them of their sins and then asks them to join him in rescuing others still caught in the clutches of enemy kingdoms. And this is why Jesus will compare himself to Jonah when answering those requesting a sign from him. For just as Jonah was three days and three three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, strange to compare yourself to Jonah, but Jesus is doing it to make a point. Jonah was the cause of his raging storm. It was his refusal to go to the nations that brought about his troubles 
Jesus, on the other hand, takes the cause and willingly absorbs all the evil, hatred, injustice, and cruelty into himself so that suffering humanity can be set free. He takes it all into himself and then takes it to the grave, into the heart of the earth. So that three days later when he rises from the grave, he is able to freely give life to whoever he chooses. And those who he wants to follow him as his disciples into his kingdom are those who know this about him, who want to be more and more like this themselves and who want to see who is on the outside who needs to be brought in. And I can think of about a million different ways that this might apply, but I don't know each one of your lives. I don't know what's going on in each one of your lives. I don't know who you might know, who you are aware of is on the outside, but there's that, there's that unknown, right? That awkwardness of I won't know how to talk to them. I won't know what it's going to be like. Let me give you some encouragement, but it might sound like the opposite. You won't know what it's going to be like. It's unknown. It's chaotic. It's raging seas. You will not know what it will be like for Jesus in that moment to give you what you need until you are in that moment. This is actually what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. It means that I cannot possibly learn everything I need to learn before I go. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. It's impractical and it just doesn't work. But when you go, you have a chance, like the disciples, to see Jesus doing something in your life, in their life, at the time that you need it. It won't come before and it won't come after. It'll come right when it needs to. But our concern, our desire to be willing to go, to be willing to communicate, to be willing to do something difficult, to reach someone else, to bring them in, that's what it means to follow Jesus. His concern is for the nations and it is great. And thankfully, he has the power to not only calm the raging seas, but to do so in a way that causes them to have peace. And you can see Jesus do this all through the Gospels, rebuking the roaring, but loving the people. Same thing he did with the sea. It's the same thing he's done with you, and it's the same thing he's done with me. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus this way who was able to look and say, whoa, 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 you're a little too eager to see judgment come upon your enemies, guys. Jonah had it totally off. He totally missed it. But the Jonah story wasn't written for Jonah. It was written for us. Because quite frankly, it's difficult when you put in place Ninevites or Assyrians. Okay, fine, put in your enemy. Who might that be? And can we imagine that the God we serve actually has love even for them? What we should be asking is, I can't imagine, I can't believe that the God we love actually has mercy even for me. But we typically don't look at it like that. Jesus will meet you when you need him. You will learn something amazing and you will love him for it. Father, I thank you for your son's faithfulness, for his concern and desire to care for others despite what it did in fact cost him. And I'm thankful that you can speak plainly to your disciples about their lack of faith. I thank you so much that you rebuke the wind, but you do not destroy the sea. And that you rebuke the roaring of the nations, but you do not desire to destroy them. I confess that I do not know if my heart fully loves that all of the time. 
I ask you to forgive me, ask you to forgive us for ways in which we still have much to learn. But I thank you that you are patient with us and gracious with us. And I thank you for those this week who are going to step out because they love you. They're going to step out because they have faith in you. And then I am excited because you are going to show them something new about you that they would have never been able to know if they didn't find themselves willingly in situations where you have to show up. So guide our fears, rebuke us when we need you to. Give us faith in you that allows us to get on board a ship and travel across the waters in search of those who desperately, desperately need you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.